www.bayoulandconservancy.org or find us on social media. KPFT Houston. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always más. Thank you so much for tuning in to another action-packed show. I got to tell you what we have lined up for you. I'll tell you who's in the room and just tell you what else we can barely touch on. Stay tuned or keep listening to this podcast later or keep reading the notes at the Houston Public Library Hispanic Archives. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> because today we are going to feature a poet. Of course, we always do that. Today, it's Monica Teresa Ortiz. Her book is Muted Bloods. She's actually also going to New Orleans Poetry Festival. So get ready for some awesome Latinx poetry in a little bit at 100,000 watts through the airwaves of Houston, Texas, and beyond. We're also going to tell you about a play coming to downtown Houston, Misa Fronteriza, with the Alley Theater. We'll have Dr. Esteban Azucuna who will tell you about that in a little bit. And then, I'm excited to have a dear friend of mine, a civil rights icon, a down Chicano, who has really done a lot for paving the way for all of us. It's great to have him here in the studio. You know him. His name is Daniel Bustamante. He's not protesting us today, because we're always on the same side as him as the picket line. He's here representing fair housing and civil rights, which is an official capacity, but also to tell us about his trajectory to being one of the movers and shakers in Houston and, again, one of the many folks whose shoulders we stand on. And we're going to get to things quickly, too, because we're trying to get three segments in. And, of course, if you've been tuning to the show for the past 17 years, you know that we always debate during pledge tries to have any programming or just pitching. And we've also fine-tuned things to two segments per show. But today we had to get all this in. And, of course... This is all because we're leading up towards our 20th anniversary showcase, April 25th, Lupe Mendez. Sapo Verde. Oh to my you. gosh. Sapo Verde. To I can't you. Yo, believe 20 it. years? 7,000 days. And, and you don't have a single cana. <laughs> hey, Sickening. This is Tony Diaz, Lupe Traficante. Lupe Traficante, Lupe Mendez. Oh my gosh. And doing the magic on the other side of la cabina. We got Leti Lopez, who's a pro now. Yes. Thank you Thank so you much. Hey, we haven't given her her Libre Tafika. No, we haven't. Yet. We got to do that within the next two weeks. So we got to work on that. I don't know. 
And then our dear friend Jack Reagan, who came in to make sure that everything was running smooth. Jack, thank you so much for coming in, Jack. You're always welcome. Thanks, man. You are the man. And then, of course, you, our dear listeners, l- let's jump into some things. Tomorrow, history might be made in Houston, Texas, as yes. la gente, our community, goes to Texas State Board of Education in Austin, Texas, to demand that they vote on Mexican American studies. They can do it tomorrow. The Texas State Board of Education, they can vote to adopt statewide the brilliant uh, special topics, social studies, Mexican American studies course that was developed here at Houston Independent School District. They can vote to adopt that statewide, which would be wonderful. It's huge. That'd be dope. And then they can also approve the accompanying takes or to fine-tune that. And that would be a major moment in our history. Of course, I've been looking at this from all sides. I I, I wrote a little piece today because, hey, four years ago, we convened for the first time for this project. Right. So it'd be like we're graduating. So Texas State Board of Ed can't... Give us the parchment tomorrow. Take education to the next level, and I get you know this is proof that we're we are the cultural accelerators because hey, when we first went up there painting banners and writing our statements, I had no idea we would write textbooks, curriculums, and be part of a statewide national movement. Yeah, like all of those pieces in play have consistently been like the 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 foundational pieces and a lot of the work that we've continued to do, and I think it's it's. The culmination going to the state tomorrow to like see how this plays out is is phenomenal. And every rule they've come up with, we have met and exceeded. Tomorrow is another great example of this. It is logical that they should vote for this. We'll keep you posted. Please do. So, folks, stay tuned. Of course, it's tomorrow, Texas State Board of Education in Austin, a rally at 9 a.m. They'll vote. We'll know in, in, in 24 hours, we'll know what's going on. So you can still call your Texas State Board of Ed rep. Let them know what's going on, but please do stay tuned because we want to keep you on the pulse of what's going on. And, you know, this is beautiful. I mean, we were just a bunch of writers and poets that convened 20 years ago. Little did we know we'd become all this advocates, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, legislative uh, uh, testimonial gente. Like, there's so many avenues for all this that I did not ever consider. And now we're sitting here like, writing those pieces and doing those things that continue that work. Um, and, and planning for the next phase. Yeah, yo. That's which, a lot. Which is coming. So please do join us Wednesday, April 25th at Talento Building with the Houston. You'll be estrenando some of your obras that will be published in yes. your book coming out. Yes, oh, my yes. goodness. Uh, that's going to – man, I'm like – I just printed the contract yesterday. So wow. I start looking at it and like uh, make some edits and maybe turn it in and get some other stuff. So That's beautiful. It, it, this really is great about our movement. By the way, we're not pitching today, so I'm not saying this to get money from you. But would it kill you to save a little bit for next time? Would it yeah. kill you? All right, the next place, try. <laughs> right, but it is beautiful that you've gone from volunteer. Well, you're still volunteer, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but one of the pillars of nuestra palabra, everything from sharing your poetry, uh, always being egalitarian, helping others, not hogging the limelight. Though you could, because you got the talent, to celebrating your obra. So, vato. I'm going to smuggle that book everywhere for yes. you. All right? Yo, I didn't even think of that. Like, yeah. I got my start putting stamps on envelopes in the very same place where we're going to celebrate uh, awesome. the anniversary show. That's and awesome. And I get to come back with, wow, with your libro. this is good stuff. So that's know? what it's all about. So, again, things seem crazy, but at the same time, we're, we're joyous about many things. Now, do we have time to talk about uh, politics and the FBI raiding uh the president's lawyers, um, or can I at least just say, I'd like to find out when President Trump will fire Mueller so that we can plan the caravans appropriately. That'd be, uh, we'll be taking bets. Uh, go ahead and uh, hit us up on Facebook and let us know when you think that's going to happen. I predict he will call for Mueller's leaving, uh, I'm going to say next Tuesday. Whoa! Oh my goodness. No way. See, I'm going to say that fast. I was going to say a month or two. A month now. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to be quick on the gun and I'm going to say Tuesday. All right. Well, let's start, start top, stockpiling water. Of course, uh, no one will be able to go to work because the government will go into chaos. Well, it'll already shut down. Aren't they, weren't they trying to avoid a shutdown not too, <laughs> a couple of days ago? <laughs> it came back another way. Yo, like there's, if it's, 
I don't know if anybody else is out there, but I think there becomes a time in which we need to be. I think that's what I'm going to mention here at this point. There's a moment at which with all the stuff that's occurring and the, the multitudes of like things being slung, either politically or legislatively, that we need to begin to look at ways to celebrate the little triumphs that are happening. So like tomorrow's potential vote on uh, the Teaks and, and uh, Moss Courses uh, and that passing, when that passes, because I'm going to put that out in the open, that's celebratory. Like, we need to take those moments that are honestly good and run with those because the bombardment of craziness that keeps encroaching on us uh, is is uh, hot and, and we just need to be able to to self-care in you're right way, right like i think that's an important step that that we should be taking and then still continue doing all the fight that but, we but stay motivated because stay otherwise motivated. we can get jaded and exhausted because yeah. we haven't even talked about the you know the invasion of uh texas by federal troops at the border <sighs> of course the next person that says i'm for open borders i'm going to say they're for half a border because right. we've only got troops along the southern border but this canadian border 5500 is fi- totally 5500 miles <laughs> wide is is totally unmanned. So and they're for half a border. I really don't. There are other states who were who were, are like, we're going to send you our troops for what? We really to what part? Like, do you mean where? Like, stay home, take care of your own state. Like, <laughs> and, and of course, at the end of the day, if they were really sincere about securing the border, maybe drones, satellite, maybe change the way that. These different industries are subsidizing their labor with yeah. undocumented labor. Maybe uh, there's there's many ways that they could do it if they were sincere, and, or or guard both borders, like you're saying, or or train. The other thing too is they should train these folks who are coming because, of course, they haven't talked a lot about Ezekiel Hernandez, who right, was killed right, on the right. border a few years back, uh, and evidently the troops thought that the troops guarding the border thought that he was attacking them and they shot him and they found out that he was just a shepherd and not attacking them and then just recently you had the border patrol agent that was killed on duty right and of course anti-immigrant force forces wanted to make it sound like he had been killed by and and then the investigation showed that there was nothing that he probably got hit by a side swap so, by an 18 so again i mean if we're gonna be smart about this let's be you know let's be let's use our heads uh, and i'm gonna be a little global about this as well like all the the conversation and all the 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 statements made by 45 uh about the crisis in syria and the gassings and the bombings that have occurred the statements that he makes about it being appalling and these are children and i'm like wait a minute you can look that far and see the issue that's there from that far away, but you can't see that the people that are coming that are looking uh, for assistance and for refuge are women and children. So I don't I think it's it's very telling of something that we already know uh, in terms of uh, where 45's interpretation of the world looks like and the lens that he views things. Um, and And so, you know, we need to be cognizant of that and aware of what's out there and and plan accordingly and we're gonna have to stop on that deep thought because i would love to keep talking about that and maybe if you're if you have one thought or the other tell us do you prefer that we just do an hour on that that would be fun or stick to this hour of poetry or actually we've mixed it up we have poetry teatro and civil rights coming up today because this is just the tip of the pyramid. So we're going to do a musical break, and we're actually going to call uh, Dr. Estevan to talk about Misa Fronteriza, which is going to be opening at the Alley Theater. And this is a big deal. We hope you will enjoy it. There's a big panel Sunday as well. I won't be on the panel, but I will. Da, da, da. Do you know the time and date? Uh, the play itself on Sunday show starts, I believe, at 2, 2.30. Uh, as soon as that last uh, matinee show happens, uh, there will then be a panel, uh, and that begins roughly at about 4 o'clock. It'll be myself, several others on the Mineva panel. Pettis is the Mineva host. Pettis will be the host. Uh, actually, I have to turn in my bio and a photo. Uh, I have to do that today. Ooh, and this was, I mean, uh, uh, going <laughs> to kill me. Um, so i got to do that today. Mental note picture. And this is after, of course, we yell at every, all of our guests to give us their bios. <laughs> That's that. I forgot mine. Um, but so that'll that'll happen on Sunday. Uh, it, it's a great opportunity uh, 
Um, I think, uh, as far as efforts are concerned, uh, it's good to see, uh, this happening, uh, to open up that conversation and to see work that's, uh, being done, uh, from across the border. Cause the play is originally from Mexico and will be performed here, uh, in the States. And so that'll be a, a gem to see right before the wall gets built. right before so. the wall gets built. So, you know, folks, uh, get, take the, the time, uh, the show will be, uh, at Mecca, uh, on the weekend, uh, show will start at about two. I think two two thirty. I'll double check when we get Esteban on the mic. We'll uh, we'll ask. We'll confirm. So we'll be right back. You're experiencing nuestra palabra. Latino writers having their say on the air for seventeen years. Welcome back. You are listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air here at KPFT.org. If you're just tuning in, welcome. Uh, we've been doing this for 17 years. Uh, I went through puberty while on the show. Um, I now have canas. Uh, I'm close to retirement. No, I'm kidding. Um, if you're listening and you're sitting in traffic or you're listening to us uh, on the internets, uh, the interwebs, uh, welcome. Uh, we love having you. And uh, we have, I believe we have with us, uh, our first guest, uh, Esteban Ascona, um, who is actually here to tell us more about tons of theater occurrences in the city. Um, Esteban, you there with us? I am here. Hey, thanks for calling in. <laughs> of course, folks who are familiar with the art scene in Houston, Know that Dr. Esteban has been active in the world of Chicano literature and arts for over 20 years as a scholar, presenter, and performer. He studied ethnomusicology and Mexican American studies at the University of Texas at Austin, received his doctorate degree. He taught ethnomusicology and Chicano Latino music history and culture at Indiana University, DePaul University, University of Texas at Austin, and the University of Houston. He was also co-producer of the Smithsonian Folkways Recordings release, Rolas de Atzlan, Songs of the Chicano Movement. He is also currently working for a consultant, as a consultant in the Latinx projects for Houston and other parts of Texas. Most recently, Arts and Residency Director for Multicultural Education and Counseling Through the Arts, known as MECA, and responsible for MECA Presents. He served nationally as curator, consultant, and panelist for local and national arts service organizations, including National Performance Network and the National Association for Latino Arts and Culture. He directed the University of Texas Mariachi Ensemble and was founding member of Austin-based Mexican group Mitote. Thanks for calling and joining us, mi hermano. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time. What's up, man? It's good to hear from you. Hey, okay. so, so give us the dates and times for uh, Misa Fronteriza. 
So Mesa Fronteriza is actually about to do its first show at Cleveland Ripley, and there are going to be almost 15 shows around the city over the next few weeks. Uh, tomorrow they will be at Baker Ripley around 4 o'clock, and then the opening night at Alley Theater on Thursday, I think that's around 7.30, 8 o'clock shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, this week, excuse me, not Sunday, but Sunday's at 2.30, after which there's a panel discussion. Which Lupe's on. What time's Lupe supposed to be there? Four. I know, right, Lupe. I'm going to be there at 2.30 for the play. <laughs> and then uh, after that, there so are still be late. Three <laughs> there are three shows at Mecca on the 20th, 21st, and 22nd. A couple shows during the week at Ripley House, I think the 24th and 26th. And then at TBA at Palenta Bilingua de Houston on that last weekend of the month, the date. Yeah, I'm in North. Yeah, but you're going to give us the website. But more importantly, tomorrow, where where is the where is the estrenando semana? Tomorrow at Baker Ripley Community Center for part part of. And and which one? Which Baker Ripley? The Baker Ripley in in, off of uh, Southwest Hillcroft. Oh, the one off of Golfton. Out by That's the, the one I'm going to tomorrow. The one in Southwest. That's the, yeah, the Southwest. I almost went to the LA Theater. I'm glad we're, yeah. ta- I'm glad we're so, talking. I, yeah, I, this is a partnership with, with the Baker Ripley Centers, with Mecca, and with Talento Bilingue, uh, with the Alleys, to bring these groups, or excuse me, to bring um, Universiteatro from Monterrey to do Misa Fronteriza here in town. I think it's, uh, I think it's nice that... Uh, the community would be able to be access the play um, in spaces that are familiar. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the Baker Ripley on the Southwest side because that's my side of town. And there's <laughs> like representation in terms of arts and things that occur uh, in the city sometimes have a harder time getting out to that side of town. So of having, having a theater production uh, at Baker Ripley, which in and of itself, like the space at the Galton Center, uh, is is a beautiful uh, uh, space. Um, it's got a school and everything else, so it's it's a beautiful area, and and I'm glad it's getting used. In this What's capacity. the website to get those listings? Uh, just th- just Alley Theater. I would go to the Alley Theater. Okay. I don't know if there's a sing if if they have every single show. I know you go to the Alley Theater website, you will see the okay. Alley Theater. What time is it tomorrow? Tomorrow, four o'clock. Four p.m. Four. Yeah. It's- this, these are times that were worked out with the individual centers. What would okay. work for us? Tony, right. you're going to have to do some arranging for your own I time know. things. <laughs> y ver la obra. Y ya no boy. te quejes. Yo sé. Ya no te quejes. Yo sé. Dije que voy a ir. How's yeah, that? See, and see. And see. So tell us. Obviously, the, the, their acting is better than we just did because we're pretending to, to not act well. I pretended. But so it's a comedy. It is. It's a it's a satirical comedy. So make it, me laugh now. It, we will laugh. It <laughs> it has has a lot of humor. It's got a lot of nostalgia in it. So those of you who are lovers of ranchera music are going to find That's a lot so... to, to like about this. Done. But it it also takes the structure of the mass. So it uses all these elements and uses them as ways to talk about the border. Got so it. Music as a way to talk about the border the math as a way to talk about the border. So it's, uh, and the humor in there to sort of get us through this really, you know, complex subject. So, and is it English, Spanish, Spanglish? It is completely in Spanish, but there will be simultaneous English translation. So language should be no barrier for anybody to come see this show. That's dope. That's dope. And I mean, I think it's fascinating. How did you time it to coincide with when, Donald Trump was sending troops to the border. I think it's totally a great tie-in. That's a great. Was that your job? <laughs> that was your been job, a little right? hard. I can I can tell you off the air. I can tell. Okay. You. I get it. I get it. Some trade secrets este, as well. But that does raise one good question. Um, uh, your role, like, what have you been doing in terms of like making sure that all of this is kind of put together in in with a nice bow? Like, uh, what's it been like for you in orchestrating and seeing this kind of come together? Well, it's been a team effort. So you have the individual partners, Mecca TBH, and the various uh, Baker Ripley sites. 
and different parts of the Alley Theater itself through its education department that was has been doing outreach for the last uh, couple months. And then, of course, their team that is working directly with the artists to bring them in and then, you know, set up these performances and the talkbacks, all the discussions that's going to go with it. it. So for me, it's been, you know, somewhat of a continuation of things I've done before, but an interesting perspective, sort of seeing all these elements coming together, going around the city. It's, it's uh, been a unique project. Awesome. And obviously, if it's going to move around with different venues, so this is based heavily on on the actor's interpretation, very minimal stage setting, and obviously they can project in big rooms or little rooms. So, so kind of a not quite theater campesino feel, but but very they adapt, like right? Guerrilla theater, it'll, do whatever everywhere. It'll have that, especially in the sites where that aren't theaters in a proper sense. They're going to try and make it as theater-like for everybody, but it is a play that really the you know the message of the play, the interaction of the characters, the musicians. There's two live musicians who are part of the show oh, wow. uh, to, to to create the atmosphere, to create the you know that sort of space to take in all of this. El ambiente, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in in the more theater-like settings, you'll get the lighting and you'll get all of that. So they'll make it a little more dramatic. But it's really the music and the message that really drives this play. Got it. And so and for I... those, if I can, for those who are sort of like, feel like, oh, I hear about the border all the time, you haven't heard the border like this. Oh, that's true. Because this is a discussion about the border from the Mexican side. God. Because <laughs> we don't, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, we hear about it all the time, you know, all the partisan discussion that goes on about the border. You're going to hear now from the true other side of the border. Sounds good. And it's going to be, it's going to be a real treat. I, I hope everyone who's listening can go see it. Um, question. In terms of the spaces where the play is going to be, um, tickets, probably you can grab them online at the websites, I'm assuming? Yeah, each space is uh, dealing with their tickets. So okay. if you... Contact Mecca to find out about how they got are it, distributing tickets. Same with TBH. At the alley, you can go to their website to find out information about how to acquire tickets. Okay, perfect, perfect. Same with Big Ripley. And then, so what I heard you say earlier when you were describing what your role is, you're the bouncer at the door <laughs> when people get rowdy during the play. That's what I heard. That's what I've always done. Yeah, yeah see, that's what, I, that's, what I, that's what we learned. No, it, it's been, uh, you know, treat sort of working with people to how do we you know get the message across how do we make sure people understand what this play is about so they're not sort of reading you know the partisan messages that are from this side of the border how do we how do we frame this whole project don't look forward to it well i can't wait to see the launch of it tomorrow and i look forward to to seeing all of our folks out there well the first show is about to happen momentarily here in Cleveland, Ripley, and Pasadena. Oh, dope. Okay. Yeah. Ah, so, so uh, tomorrow will be the second one. Okay, so it's about to launch be the any moment. One, but the opening at the alley will be Thursday evening. Um, so that's, a, that's one particular site people might want to keep in mind if they can't go to one of the big Ripley's. And then, of course, on Sunday, Lupe uh, is going to be part of a panel that's going to be moderated by I'm, Mineva I'm, Perez. I'm in the play. <laughs> can, do a, can do a cameo. I do a cameo at the very end. Guerrilla theater. Yeah, at the very end, I sit in a chair. <laughs> you know how we do it. Yeah, that's that's how same. we do it. Sweet. Thank you, Esteban. Great talking to you. Oh, no. Yeah, oh. man. Great good project. Good to hear your voice. Thanks for doing all that you do. And uh, Lupe, look forward to seeing you soon. See Tony, you soon, I hope man. I see you at some of the shows. Can't wait. All Thank right. you so much. Hey, we're talking Misa Fronteriza. Hope you'll be a part of it. We're going to take a little break and then get the poetry, or I'm happy to go right to the poetry, but we'll have Monica Teresa Ortiz in just a little bit. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latina writers having their say on the air, and today we've been featuring teatro, poetry, and civil rights. Right after the segment with Monica Teresa Ortiz, we'll have El Mero Mero, Daniel Bustamante. Stay tuned. 
We are back. You are listening to Nuestra Palabra Latino Writers having their say on the air. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we finished our first segment with uh, Esteban Ascona as he was talking about Mesa Fronteriza and the theater productions that are happening between Mecca, Tanutubin with Houston, the, all the Baker Ripley Centers, and the Alley Theater uh, for that Spanish production. Uh, discussing using satirical comedy and like conjunction with Misa and and uh, uh, ranchera music and discussing the border from uh, the perspective of uh, mi gente en Mexico. So that's an, an awesome opportunity. And so now we come back to you with the second segment. Uh, we will be covering um, stuff that's amazing, the magical contents of all that is poetry uh, with a homegirl and amazing poet. Uh, Monica Teresa Ortiz. Monica, are you there? Hello. Yeah! How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Yay! I literally, if you were in the room, I would hug you right now. I know. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could have been there. Man, that's awesome. Okay, so uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to do the formal uh, stuff, and then we can get to the nitty-gritty. Um, Monica Teresa Ortiz was born and raised in Texas. Her work has recently appeared in Winter Tangerine Review. The Texas Review, Southwestern Literature, and her first poetry collection, Muted Blood, is forthcoming from Black Radish Books in the summer Congratulations. of Congratulations. Uh, Ortiz is also the poetry editor of Raspa, a queer Latinx literary journal. Ladies and gentlemen, Monica Teresa Ortiz. <laughs> Yo, congrats. Um, the you. minute. You and I have much to celebrate. Yeah, we do, yo. Like, the minute I found out, like, your book was coming out, I literally, like, almost dropped my computer because I jumped up so fast. So, um, uh, blessings to you on that. That's an amazing opportunity. Uh, so, fill us in. What have you been up to? Uh, what's what's in the works? And what are you doing uh, in between now and the time that book drops? Um, let's see. Um, I'm already... Trying to start working on a small chapbook nope. um, with a small press here in Austin. Um, I'm actually going to uh, the New Orleans Poetry Festival, which is next weekend. Perfect. Um, and before I do that, I'm, I'm going to be uh, going up to New York uh, to do a, uh, I guess, a conversation, a talk, whatever, uh, with um, uh, a Mexican writer named Valeria Luiselli. Yo, that's gonna be dope. I, I, the, I wish I could either be there or somebody can, like, Skype that or Facebook Live that. I think we're probably that. gonna maybe live stream it. That's dope. So how did that come about? Was that a conversation that somebody was like, "Hey, come on up to New York," or <laughs> did you have a conversation with her, or how did everything kind of like come uh, together? You know, it was uh, sort of interesting how that all happened um, because it kind of ties into a lot of what y'all have been talking about in the yeah. past, like. 30 minutes. Um, I uh, have been involved with an organization here in Austin for almost nine years, and they do delegation trips to the border, um, and we visit and talk to women who work in the factories there on yeah. the Mexican side of the border. Um, and one particular delegation I went, and I had a, I made a friend who was at that time a doctoral student. Mm-hmm. Um, and her field of interest is in migration and um, detention facilities and um, surveillance. And anyway, she ended up doing her post her postdoc at the New School. In New oh. And she occasionally visits Austin, and every time she comes, we hang out, you know, and, and catch up. And she had asked me for some um, book recommendations. So I guess the last time. She you know, she was here in, like, 2017 or whatever. And uh, one of the books uh, that I recommended was The Story of My Teeth. Oh, wow. uh, Which I really love. Right. Um, but I think she went to the bookstore and ended up picking up the newer book, which is... Um, tell tell know, me how it ends. Or... Yeah, Tell Me How It Ends. Um, so then she read that, and we were kind of just talking, and she found out that, you know, my book is coming out, and we were talking about the border, and we were talking about different, you know, different things, and... Uh, she was telling me about the book and how much she loved it, and, and I told her I'd just actually seen Valeria give a talk here at the University of Texas in Austin. That's dope. Um, and so we were kind of just, you know, talking about that, and, and then I told her, you know, I think that Valeria teaches and lives in New York. And then I, as a joke, it wasn't even, I wasn't even <laughs> serious. 
<laughs> That's how it works, y'all. Yeah, I like told she was like, Oh, you should try to come up here and read us. Oh yeah, you should try to, you know, work it out so that um Valeria and I have a have a panel together or whatever. <laughs> and it was like, a joke. I just I was, get that done. Thanks, bye. Yeah, I was like totally joking. <laughs> and Ta-da, ves, ves, por hablando, por yeah, and my friend was like, Okay and like didn't really say anything and about you Lupin know, never does that for me. You know, what would you think if if this. Oh, it wasn't you know, it just sort of happened, um that's dope. As a joke. <laughs> You're like, whoops, I guess so. No, that's awesome though. Like that that man, to be a fly on the wall for that conversation to happen. Um I think I saw her and uh oh the not this past ABWP but the one before uh I saw her, Javier Zamora mm-hmm. and I can't remember the other two people that were on the panel. Um uh, but she had the book had just come out and she was reading a segment of it and talking about um what what sitting down and, and doing the interviews was like and, and histories and so like that, you know, uh, captured uh uh and I picked up the book then after, but so like it, that's that's an awesome read. I, I definitely okay. So we got to make sure too. Um, we got to hear your work. So do you have any poems or pieces that you would like to read? Maybe time wise, I think we have time for like one one poem. Do you have anything? Um, let me see. No I didn't have anything pulled up. No, no, no worries, no worries. Um, let me. Uh, I can read, uh, probably, so the book has, um, as its frame, um, I was really inspired by, um, this book by Jack Spicer, um, after Lorca, in which he writes, um, letters to Garcia Lorca, because I'm really interested in, um, as a, as a poet, you know, the involvement that you play in, you know, in, in being a global citizen. And right. Right. I often I often think a lot about Garcia Lorca and you know his death and his execution and his exile and those are things that I think about a lot. Right. Um, and and actually the title of the book is um, from a different poet. He's Palestinian who's imprisoned in Saudi Arabia. Damn. Um, and his name is Ashraf Fayyad. Um, and the line from his book, his book is called Instructions Within. Uh, is your mute blood will never speak out as long as you brag about death. Oh. Um, and so that's where the title comes from. Um, so I can read one of the letters to Lorca. Yes. Let me find it real quick. I think I'm here. Um, and as you're searching for that, I'll, I'll tell the, the folks that are listening. So... Um, uh, some background info. So M- M- Monica and I are like friends like for a little bit um because of a mutual friend uh Sara Rafael Garcia who's like doing phenomenal work out in Cali in Santana who was working and doing her thing with Barrio Writers uh here in Texas out of Austin uh helped get it started in San Antonio helped it move into Houston uh and then we all have like a ton of mutual friends uh between uh Reyes Ramirez and a few of us, and the mics are doing really awesome stuff, and uh, and so uh, great opportunities came up from there. Uh, Monica and uh, Jasmine, myself, and a few others uh, uh, ended up being able to go to uh, uh, Macondo. Uh, so like Macondista family is like all up in the space. And uh, doing all sorts of, of amazingness. Macondo in the house, right? And so, um, okay. So, Monica, do you would you have said letter? Yes. Sweet. Yes. Uh, and I just want to, yeah, I just want to say, you know, um, meeting everybody and all of the writers that I've, you know, met. Uh, that particular shared space was really important to me. That's amazing. Um, so it was really nice to be able to talk to you, and I can't wait for your book either. Yay. But. Um, okay, so I'll just read this real quick, um, and this is the one of the letters. I think there's four letters in the book. I can't remember. Um, this is the final letter. Uh, it's called Dear Lorca. Dear Lorca, today I found a dead cat wrapped up in a dish towel, delicately disposed of on the sidewalk. Who did the body belong to? 
you asked where your grave was, and I don't know where else to look. T.S. Eliot said that humankind cannot bear very much reality. I write to you from a place of disaffection, post-hope, because racism isn't condemned to geography, because its legacy is cemented into the sidewalks, because sanctuary isn't for everyone, because we cannot grieve under the specter of Penalty's hundred unbreathing eyes. My neighbor planted a yard sign that says, in this house, we are still outraged. The poet Roger Reeves says, we are not separate from the perpetuation of violence. He calls it civilized outrage. He calls it trafficking the spectacle. And I say, empires are not built alone. We build empires and we call it intervention. And intervention is another word for invasion. We will watch as these empires fall Torch it with fire from Prometheus' rope-burned wrist. For language is violent, and violence took you. Violence will take us all as the border took my grandfather's. No one in my family knows the location of my great-grandfather's body, or if he's even underground. His body doesn't have a home. He was stabbed in the street in Mexico and left for dead. His name was Salador, but that did not save him. I wonder what thoughts crossed your mind when you faced the firing squad, if you felt betrayed, if you grieved your body, if you knew that there is a next life, that the odyssey starts after death, that we shall inherit the matrix. Did you ever believe that us queers, we can come back, back from beyond? Dear Lorca, I am not a gravedigger. I am only just the ferryman. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, Monica Teresa Ortiz. Yo, yo, that line, because sanctuary isn't for everyone, like literally heart stop, like right there. Oh. Yeah, I think that was also part of the conversation um, with, you know, and hopefully it will happen when I sit with um, Valeria because, you know, we, uh, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, these even if our struggles are not all the same, that I don't believe that I'm free or right. that anyone is free until all of us are free. Right, 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 right. And I think that's I think that's a beautiful way to remember, keep in mind, be aware and as we start doing the 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 work that needs to be done. Um, Monica, thank you so much for being on air with us. Um, thank you for inviting me. Yo, amazing opportunity. I can't wait to touch base with you soon. Uh, and we'll definitely take a look out for the book when the book. Congratulations does come out, on all your success too. We'll like we'll put that out there, and we'll invite you again uh, to read more from the book. Uh, congrats! She's got to come out. Yeah, she's yeah I would love down. to come. This is dope. Uh, good luck in uh, New Orleans. Safe travels. Uh, safe travel to New York, and we will talk soon. All right, thanks, y'all. All right. And you're, ex- you're listening to Nuestra Palabra Latino writers having their say. You're experiencing a hundred thousand watts of magic and awesomeness. And we're going to skip the musical interlude. I'm doing an audible here, just so we have more time to talk with uh, Danielle. And again, typically, we run either one extreme or the other. One extreme is that if we're pitching, I think we shouldn't have any any programming just to keep appealing to you <laughs> for funds. Of course, we debate on that all the time. And the other extreme is today we had three segments, but I, don't, I wouldn't know what to cut. So on that note, we want to accommodate everybody, and really great to have our dear friend uh, and someone that's really done a lot for us. His name is Daniel Bustamante, as you know. Originally, he's from Corpus Christi. He's a graduate of the University of Houston. His life experience includes various positions as executive director, supervisor, caseworker, organizer, and volunteer in nonprofit organizations. For the last 18 years, he's worked extensively in civil rights and fair housing issues locally as well as nationally. He is the founding executive director of the Greater Houston Fair Housing Center and serves on the board of directors for the National Fair Housing Alliance based in Washington, D.C., among many other things, including uh, El Festival Chicano, which is another hat that he wears. But thank you so much for joining us, Daniel. It's my pleasure. I'm blessed to be here. No, man, it's great to have you here. Now, now, uh, tell us about this position. But so you're not, we're not going to chat about Festival Chicano yet. 
Okay. Are we? Or you tell me. I mean, I, yeah, I haven't yeah, talked about both. I, I could talk a lot about Festival and the struggle for our cultural rights and how I got there. That's another. Yeah. That's another story. Wow, gotcha. <laughs> but well, tell, us your, tell us your capacity at the Fair Housing. I'm the executive director of the Greater Houston Fair Housing Center. Uh, we deal with housing discrimination under the Federal Fair Housing Act. This month is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King, and it's also the 50th anniversary of the passage of the Federal Fair Housing Act. The law literally was passed seven days after his assassination, after Congress sat on it and sat on it and sat on it. Dr. King started the... Uh, protested in Chicago in the early 60s, was beat up and challenged by white races, not only in Chicago, but throughout the South. Um, and the Fair Housing Act represents the legacy that uh, he left for equality in housing. Uh, as a Chicano from South Texas, uh, growing up in uh, segregated communities, going to Mexican schools and not speaking English, and, and just, I think all of us had outhouses, our housing was uh, pretty pitiful. So I'm, I'm dedicated you know, these last years to fighting for our civil rights as a community, not just Latinos, but for everybody. Uh, we're in the most segregated city in the in the South, in America right now, in Houston. It's a segregated city. Just be real clear about that. One of the reasons is because of the vestiges of racism that still survive to this day. And the Federal Fair Housing Act is one of the vehicles that we use to bring people to quality. And, and housing goes where you live determines where you're going to go to school, where you're going to work, transportation, church, everything. And we know what our barrios and ghettos and poor communities look like. And we know what the wealthy communities look like. So we're just trying to create a vehicle for people to challenge the discrimination that goes on. And the Federal uh, Fair Housing Act provides a vehicle for us to make complaints. Um, I have a small staff, but we try real hard to reach out to all protected class members. All of us are protected. Uh, it doesn't matter our sex. The, there are seven categories. It's uh, race, color, religion, national origin, people with disabilities and families with children. And all of us fit in those categories in a lot, lot of ways. And here in Houston, uh, recently, uh, the example I want to use is that the public uh, Houston Housing Authority wanted to build low-income projects, housing, middle, multi, I want to call them projects, but uh, multifamily housing in the gallery area, and it was successfully defeated by the powerful, powerful, rich people in this town uh, to the point that the mayor didn't even put it on the agenda to be voted on. And uh, HUD basically found them in, uh, in violation of Title VI, and they sent them a letter and they came up with a voluntary compliance agreement, but it really doesn't deal with uh, the problem. So today I just wanted to come here, and um, I'm inspired by your previous speakers. Uh, what motivates me is uh, our heritage, our culture, just the days uh, growing up in the 50s and just everything that I've been blessed to witness, people have been blessed to meet. Um, and I'm still doing cultura and music and Festival Chicano, so all of that's another story. But today I'm here to, to remind everybody listening, especially artists out there that don't make a lot of money, that uh, struggle with housing, because I have a lot of friends that are artists. I mean, uh, anybody thinks that they're being treated differently because of your race, your color, your language, the way you look, your your sexual preference, um, whatever reach out to, to us and at the Greater Houston Fair Housing Center. Uh, our number is 713-641-3247, and we'll be glad to talk to you. And, uh, again, that's 713-641-3247. Or another way to look at it is 713-641-FAIR. And uh, we'll take your complaint, and if need be, we'll file an administrative complaint. And if it's a serious matter, we'll talk to lawyers that work with us and try to get it resolved. Pero no se dejen. You know, if you're listening and you're a victim of Harvey and, and you're not getting treated right by a federal agency, definitely call us. Every government that receives federal money, anybody that gets federal money that's a government has an obligation to do what's called affirmatively further in fair housing. And there's court cases already that dictate that the government needs to do what it needs to do. Katrina taught us that. And uh, we're going to go through a struggle in Houston recovering from Harvey. And a lot of people are getting messed over right now because of discrimination. But if you don't complain, nothing's going to happen. So make sure you speak up and organize your neighbors and reach out to somebody that can do something and not us, somebody else. But that's basically my message that's amazing. today, Tony. No, especially and, with that's the amazing. marking the anniversary. And for folks, too, I'm not going to pause and... You touched on a lot of powerful moments in our history. Folks can listen to the podcast. So this podcast is archived at the University of Houston Digital Library. 
I think you should refer to it in your classrooms and your research. The hard copies are archived at the Houston Public Library Hispanic Archives. I just donated a whole batch. Actually, donated a whole batch of our old uh, cintas from the TV show there. I only mention it because you've touched on so many important things. So let's break it down to, to three parts. I want to talk about the anniversary. And you mentioned a Martin Luther King that's not talked about in classrooms, especially when you're talking about the um, resistance that he faced. That's one thing. Uh, secondly, um, maybe about some of the specific claims that uh, that are, are, are that you face uh, today and have been uh, dealing with. And then the the last one would be a little bit about. Uh, Festival Chicano, because, <laughs> because so so we'll try and get all those, and I know Lupe had some questions too, but yeah, I, yeah. I guess the first one I want to talk about is that, you know, I think folks forget that Martin Luther King was not treated like Martin Luther King when he was alive. No, no, uh, Martin Luther King, Dr. King was uh, a hero, not only to myself, but I think to a lot of us in South Texas growing up, we could, uh, we could relate, we could empathize, we could be right on his side as children, as young people, watching the marches, watching the beatings, watching the protests, because we were right there in South Texas being discriminated against because we didn't speak English, uh, being discriminated against because we didn't have skills, people that worked in the fields. Uh, I mean, I was blessed to be around farm workers all of my life, and, and blessed to be around the United Farm Workers. A good part of my life who taught me how to organize and taught me how to be peacefully, nonviolently resisting and organizing. But Dr. King was the epitome of uh, nonviolence resistance. I mean, he died for it. And I still am very active in in the South. I'm vice president of an organization called Federation of Southern Cooperatives, which is primarily African-American. We got involved with them in the 70s in Texas as a result of our activism, and I'm still there. And so I know that I've learned so much from that movement and Dr. King epitomizes that movement when he was trying to desegregate Chicago in the early 60s uh, the races he ran across were worse than the races he ran across in the south they were they were stronger there were larger groups that were better organized better prepared the Klan was up there and we grew up in South Texas with racism not as brutal as that but still racism so a lot of people that are listening to me probably can share stories that they saw or their family saw but it was dr king and cesar chavez who taught our country how to be resistful and be organized in a manner that was nonviolent. it cost him his, his life and uh, we don't have a lot of our leaders like that anymore around but we still have a battle ahead of us and right now with uh, racism is being put out by this administration um uh, the, the bad things that are happening in a lot of communities, I and mean, people just have to remember where we come from. We're, we're, we have a legacy of resistance, a legacy of struggle, a legacy of fighting. So we need to fight for our rights, but do it do it in a manner that's nonviolent, because the cops have the guns, and, and you know, you're going to be dead if you resist. Now, some folks may be comfortable, and I hope they are, I hope they're doing well, they may think, that's not going on now. So what are some of the issues that you are uh, confronting? Well, right now in housing, for example, uh, I'll bring it, try to bring it down here to Houston. Houston is a renter city. Majority of our population rents. Uh, one of the big problems now is the gentrification and the redevelopment that's going on in our beautiful big city. People are not able to afford rents anymore, so they still have the same amount of income, and $500, $600, $700 doesn't buy you a uh, very <laughs> Not quality. anymore. Not yeah, anymore. you're right. So I, I talk to workers every day, moms and dads that work two or three jobs, mostly immigrant families that are just struggling to put bread on the table and keep their kids fed. And, um, you know, and it's not good, and, and we have a lot of uh, abuse Internally, uh, I'm talking internally, I'm saying like in Chicano community or Latino community, we have bad landlords. In black communities, you have bad landlords. And sometimes it's uh, one race taking advantage of another race. Uh, I'll never forget going to work out in the uh, Chimney Rock area and talking to an Asian manager who said that uh, they're very comfortable because I had gotten a complaint about the apartment complex from Latinos who said they couldn't rent there because they were told that they wouldn't be happy. So when I talked to the manager, I mean, she told, <laughs> wow. me, something, she told me very something very profound, and she said, well, we're trying to speak our language. We're trying to maintain our culture. And so you have all this Vietnamese population at that time living in a property because they felt comfortable. And so a lot of times because of how you feel comfortable, people 
unintentionally will wind up potentially hurting somebody else who, who needs housing. And uh, a lot of people that have moved out of the city into rural areas nearby Liberty County, um, Fort Bend County, Brazoria County, are being ripped off and be abused by land developers who either sell them land that they'll never really be able to to build on. But there's a lot of abuse. And uh, that's going on now. That's going on now. Yes, that's going on now. And Especially as folks get pushed out, exactly. like you mentioned. So we have colonias around Houston, around Dang. San Antonio, around yeah. Dallas, you know, around the big cities. We've got colonias around here. And you go out there and visit them. They don't have outhouses like the old days, but they have septic. In the fourth largest city in America. I want to talk more about that, but let's close on a high note. We only have about three minutes left. I say all this because you you do handle a heavy job. (laughs) You've been been here before we're a a sought-after commercial demographic, Uh, and you've been putting on Festival Chicano for how many years now? It'll be 39. Dang! Krista Palauda is an intern. I know, back. right? <laughs> Compared to that, wow, that's amazing. And, and I have to tell you how that came about. In the 70s, as an activist, a Chicano activist, Chicano movement for farm workers, for for schools, for everything, whatever we were working on, police brutality was really what, what got me to Miller Arthur Theater because I was protesting police brutality in the early the 73, 74, then got beat up by the cops in 75 in front of my house that I was living in, along with three other brothers. We were thrown in jail, and we sued him in 76. We wound up in court in 79, and we won that federal lawsuit against Houston Police Department for violation of our civil rights. In between those years, Jose Campos Torres happened. And with Jose Campos Torres happened, I was blessed to be on fire, alive, aggressive, not afraid, and I was involved in organizing the marches along with a lot of brothers and sisters and carrying on those marches from the very first march from uh, San, San Jose Church to the bayou where he was thrown in to the last big march that we had. And in the interim, um, I did a big concert at, at Moody Park. The city came and told me that I could no longer produce <laughs> anything in the parks because we used the parks. And I asked them why. I said, well, there's no restrooms or no facilities. It's too many people. And I said, well, why not? And they told me there's no resources. I started approaching Miller Arthur Theater in 1978, 1979. And I was told that our community did not have fine arts to be presented there. Dang. That it was a venue for the symphony, the opera, and the ballet. So I got a break in 1980, and I got $1,500. I know I was being set up to fail, because with that $1,500, <laughs> I could not even pay the stagehands. <laughs> so I reached out to my brother, little Joe, who at that point was at the height of his career mm. and had been active in, in our political movement, Unida movement, in, in the 70s. And he said, hey, man, don't worry about me. I'll be there. You don't have to pay me. So to make a long story short, we packed the place. We must have had. 10,000 people show up. Nice. And I told that story to the crowd. And this was April. And it rained. It poured rain. Nobody left. I felt so empowered. I told the, the audience, I said, because, you know, we may have to march to City Hall. We need to be here. They don't want us here. It was a very racist environment. But we stood up. The following year, they gave us a date in October and more money. And the rest, you know, the rest is history. I love it. We're in the greatest city in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you are living a Mexican Studies class right now. Daniel, thanks. thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you do. You, God bless you guys, and keep doing what you do. Oh, you, you fired us up. Great show. If you want to hear more information about the Greater Houston uh, Fair Housing Center, you can go to HoustonFairHousing.org. They've got a website, and I'm looking at the website now, and it's amazing, and it's awesome. Thank you, Daniel, for coming. Thank you, brothers and sisters and that are listening, and just keep fighting the struggle and do it nonviolently. Que viva el pueblo. Viva el pueblo. Hey, stay Facts. tuned for coming to America. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Letty. Thank you, Lupe. Hey, this is Tony D. Shout out to everyone. Uh, thank you, Marlene, and we'll see you next week. Gracias. Bye. Stay tuned for coming to America. Yeah. That's awesome. KPFT's Thank two you. live channels on your phone. Install the TuneIn app, available for both Apple and Android, and then search for KPFT. You'll see both the FM channel and the newly improved HD3 channel. 